baddies, look at his butt. It is so big. He looks like that Biggest Loser podcast guy, but who understands those podcast guys anyway? He only does it to stay in the spotlight. I mean, I guess it's pretty funny and interesting and stuff, but how can he talk about health? He's just so fat. Jimmy Talk. Okay, Marty, your previous weight was 365 pounds and your current weight is 345. You lost 20 pounds. Jimmy Talk. Yes, Marty is ready. Marty is a laser beam. I always say to him, like, are you going to be the biggest loser? Good, Marty. Because, dude, I'm seeing it. Jimmy Talk. Marty, that's three votes for you. You're not the biggest loser. Chubby Talk. And welcome back to Chubby Talk. Welcome back in, my chubby nation. Well, everybody, welcome to the breakup party. No, I'm just kidding. Um... Well, I've got a lot of uh, news. I have a lot of news, and it does affect uh, the podcast. And uh, it's an exciting, exciting new uh, chapter in my life. As some of you who might be Square One uh, members, or actually former Square One members now at this juncture, um, know that I have uh, I've ended the chapter of being a health club owner. Um, August 1st, Square One, we actually merged our health club uh, with a, another existing health club here in town. And um, and so our people are going over there and they are um, working out over there and going to do a program that uh, uh, I, in conjunction with actually uh, Nick Monzu, who is somebody who has also spoke on this podcast, um, we came up with a program over there to transition the people from Square One uh, to the other, uh, the other health club here in town. It's called Prairie Life. Those of you who aren't local to Omaha, Nebraska, aren't going to have any reference for any of this. But, um, but yeah, so we, we merged that part. What a lot of people don't know is that there is, and for the better part of five or six years, there's another part of Square One uh, that is our corporate side of things. And uh, that is where uh, I or uh, Square One staff members have, people other than me, have went on site and done uh, programs at uh, on site at different, at different companies or at, um, at um, different hospitals. Uh, or whatever the institution might be, we have taught classes there and actually away from our home base health club. Um, that component is actually still going. Um, in fact, I have I have a couple of um, I have a couple of places that I'm going to be doing that from and doing that with um, moving forward into the new year. And so I'm excited about that. I mean, it, it's kind of weird because. On one hand, what most people know of Square One uh, is going away, except for these pockets of people that I travel to, and uh, they see Square One through a whole different lens and a whole through different set of eyes. So um, for some people, it, the experience is not going away, uh, but for a majority of people um, and a majority of the folks that probably know it as a health club uh, in Omaha, 
uh, that portion has merged, like I said, with another health club. So, um, so that's kind of the, I guess the state of my, of my life <laughs> and, um, and the state of, of the, the club and, and everything that's been going on and why I haven't been able to stay up on the podcasting. It has been absolutely crazy having to close the business down and, and uh, literally do all of the scraping of, of all the stickers off the walls and patching holes and um, moving every piece of equipment and l- literally chopping up treadmills with, uh, with a reciprocating saw, chopping them up, chopping the pieces of metal, cutting through them so that they fit into a dumpster <laughs> so I don't have to pay extra money to buy a second dumpster. So uh, that has been my life really for the last um, probably three weeks solid is doing that and closing that particular chapter. And, and uh, actually, it's been going on a lot longer. Uh, it's been going on actually about a year because I had several different plans in place uh, about what I kind of wanted to do and different options. And so just wanted everybody to know that, uh, that that particular phase of square one um, has merged, and uh, those people that are that were excited about continuing in that area had an outlet that hopefully I, I was able to help them uh, transition to in some way and uh, give them that outlet to be able to continue that progress in uh, with good people and at around a similar price point for the folks that wanted to do that. So uh, that was my goal from from the beginning. Uh, was to find a way to transition. Uh, and the whole time I did not know my role. I didn't know if I was going to be the person working that day to day or um, if I was going to do something different. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, so uh, I, I wasn't too sure about that. Um, another thing that has been an interesting development is uh, late in June, um, while all of this stuff was going on and we were, I was talking with Prairie Life uh, about the potential. Uh, it wasn't a done deal. It was really still just exploring if the opportunity was even going to work, merging our square one people over there with them. Um, I, I decided I went on vacation in, a, in mid-June and uh, really during vacation I decided you know, I am going to, uh, I really want to try to go back to school. Um, it's something I've always, I had always wanted to do. Um, but, uh, it was never in my eyes feasible. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, is it ever really feasible? But, um, in my eyes, it was never feasible. And the reason is, is because and many people don't know the world of theater, Um, But that was my undergraduate degree. I got my degree in speech and theater education. I was a high school teacher for three years before I got on The Biggest Loser. I taught speech classes, but mostly I taught theater classes. And uh, and I was a, a guess you could call it like a theater coach. Although people don't typically see them as coaches. But um, I mean, I was there. I was building sets and directing plays and we did uh, several plays a year when I was a, t- a teacher. I mean, we did more plays when I was a high school teacher per year uh, 
than we did as a, a college institution that I went to. It was, it was crazy. So, um, so anyway, that, that was my, that was my previous professional experience before I got on the biggest loser. And, um, I could never go back and, and actually get uh, a master's degree or any kind of higher level theater degree. Because what people don't really know is that the next degree up other than a bachelor's degree is something that's called an MFA, a master's of fine arts in theater. Sorry, got a horse in my throat. Um, or frog, frog in my throat, not a horse. I got, no, okay, you get me. <laughs> um, but an MFA, Masters in Fine Arts. Now, the thing about that, <clears throat> gosh, um, the thing about that is that, uh, that getting an MFA is a terminal degree. So there is no degree higher than that in fine arts, in theater. It would be the equivalent to like getting a doctorate in a different degree. Um, and the reason I can comfortably say that is because you cannot have a full-time job and get your MFA. In fact, the institution that I'm going to, because I recently was accepted into the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, which is the only academic institution in the whole state of Nebraska that even offers an MFA that I'm even aware of. Um, what, uh, you have to be you have to be accepted as a graduate assistant which means you're not only just taking classes full time they expect you to work in the theater department uh basically full time as well um so you're taking a a a full time load of classes and then on top of it you're expected to get in 20 other hours of of work um so you can't have like a teaching job and go and get your MFA. So that always stood in my way of being able to do that. It's something that I always wanted to do. Um, I was always itching to really learn more about my that particular craft that I had spent a lot of time and money uh, learning in my undergrad. I always had that want. Um, but the practicalities of life, uh, you know, putting food on the table and now you have kids that's even more real and everything like that. So, um, just were, were holding, holding me back. And then I got on the biggest loser and that took me in a completely different direction that you guys all know about and that I've been talking about on the podcast for a really long time. Long, long story short is I've been planning for a long time to downsize square one, the health club portion of that so that I could focus on something else um, because the health club portion just was not financially uh, ever going to meet my needs um, to, to make to make really an honest living at all. Um, I mean, l- long story short, essentially the money that I put into uh, Square One and went in debt with, I slowly basically recouped a majority of that money. Um, but it, it was not a financially successful venture as far as the health club was concerned. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, but you know, um, it, it's a hard gig. <laughs> um, you are trying to open a health club for people that don't go to health clubs. Um, 
you are trying to open a health club for that at risk, that high risk population of people that, you know, consistently give up on themselves and lack the discipline to go. Uh, I'm not saying that's the complete reason for any of this, um, but I knew from the very beginning that it was going to be a hard thing to do, but I was willing to stare it in the face and give it a try. And I had a ton of advantages over a lot of other people, over a lot of other people. I had, you know, the biggest loser experience. I was able to get in front of companies. I was able to, in that short amount of time that I ran a small health club in Omaha, Nebraska, I was able to get that little health club concept in international newspapers and magazines and written in the New York Daily News, which is like the seventh, you know, like the seventh most read newspaper in the country or maybe even the world. I don't know. It's like up there. The New York Daily News is up there. Um, We were on time.com. I spoke at the health club industry show. So I, with my, my little health club of people, of 80 or 90 people at the time was being featured on a uh, national, but I'm sure there were international people there um, learning about Square One and the health club concept uh, that that I had created from scratch and and how uh, we were really focusing on the wants and the needs of people of size. And in my heart of hearts, I do truly believe that we did our absolute best at trying to meet those needs. I feel like we did. I feel like we created a place that at the end of the day, a lot of people changed their lives. And for many of the people, if not a majority of the people that walked through the doors, had a feeling that that was the place that they belonged. And that's what I wanted to do from the beginning. You know, I, I when people say, you know, wh- you know, when did you think this up? Really, I thought up square one from the time I was a little kid when I felt isolated and I felt like I was different, there was always this want and this need to feel like I belonged to some other group. And how that manifested in a little 10-year-old's mind was I had this want, I had this feeling that I wanted to go to like a fat camp. I wanted to be around other people like me because I felt like if I was around other people like me, maybe I would finally feel good about myself. Maybe I would finally be important. That was the concept. It came from a visceral gut feeling that I had had my whole life. And the biggest loser just kind of proved it. And then I took elements and pieces that I enjoyed from the biggest loser, like the sense of community and camaraderie and attacking goals together, and uh, created Square One. And it was a, um, you know, it was a total crapshoot. It really was. Uh, And probably where it fell short was I didn't have, I didn't have um, financial experience in the the health and wellness industry. Um, I wasn't a business owner. That's not what I went to school to do. Um, I got into teaching because I wanted to change people's lives. And um, probably where things fell short was in that financial area. But I do want people to know this because I think it's pretty important that even financially speaking, what's very interesting is we did have a competitor. There was another, a direct competitor, another health club, four people of size going on at 
basically the exact same time. They literally opened their doors one month before uh, Square One did. And the name of it was called, it was called Downsize. And it was in Chicago. And it was run by a hedge fund guy. So somebody a lot smarter than me in the area of money uh, started uh, his own um, his own uh, health club concept for, for overweight people specifically and had size standards. It was, it was done differently. Uh, I know this because I actually went there and a lot of people don't know this. See, what's funny is a lot of people never saw me as a business owner. Um, and uh, they only saw me as, as the trainer or as the teacher and, and I'm goofy and all that other stuff. But there, it, there, it was a serious side behind all of that um, trying to make all of this really financially happen and give us everybody more resources. <clears throat> so at one point, probably about four years ago, I, I went to Chicago and I met with the CEO of Downsize Fitness. And we talked even then about merging and about uh, making square one a Downsize Fitness and uh, having elements of what I did um, collaborate with what they do and make the concept stronger and something that could really last a long, long time, given that my experience came from the trenches and with the people and with program design and teaching and the train your brain side of things. And theirs came more from the financial side. So they had something I didn't, and I believed that I had something that they didn't. And we were in talks for a while about it. And then it just kind of fizzled out. It was never anything that I could tell people about or really talk about because I didn't want this thought or, you know, this fracture going through the whole community that Marty doesn't want this or Marty. No, I'm just always looking to upgrade and to keep things more stable and more secure long-term. And in my mind, partnering with people that, uh, that would help aid in a weakness of mine was a smart thing to do, regardless of the name that was on the front of the effing building. <clears throat> Whether it said square one or downsize, I thought that was a smart, smart move. There ended up not being any interest, but that's an example of things that, you know, an opportunity that was potentially there along, along the way. I've talked with uh, hospitals about merging with them and, and done pitches. So it's the concept, even though people have known it as this square one thing that really hasn't changed in a really long time, um, the better part of five or six years, really has always been on the precipice of change the whole time. It's just nobody really saw the direction that, that I saw behind the scenes. Um, and I was looking for uh, to fill in gaps of areas that I was not the strongest in. Um, None of that really came to fruition. And probably about a year, like two years ago, the biggest loser went off of the air, which was a big deal, a big, big deal. Because we were bringing in between, you know, 25 and 30 new people every year, which was enough to sustain us. Because in the fitness industry, I think I read stats off a couple of podcast episodes ago, um, just about how many people, you know, actually utilize their gym membership. Uh, 67% of people pay for a gym membership and never use it once. Well, when you're paying $200 a month 
uh, like a majority of our people were at our club because it was a specialized, personalized experience. Now, people who know fitness and nutrition pricing, that's not a big deal. The problem is your average person of size isn't out there fitness shopping. They're not out there, you know, uh, pricing um, Jenny Craig against Metabolic Research Center, against Isogenics, against all of the other things and really figuring all that stuff out. They um, are probably driving past billboards or listening to commercials on TV around the beginning of the year. And those health clubs that have those kind of marketing budgets to be able to make a national television commercial are the ones with the loudest megaphones and the ones that can that 67% of their people never use them. So uh, they have money to pump into stuff like that. But when you raise your prices and people aren't coming, they are not sticking around. So you know that you have to replace people consistently. And that's just a known thing in the fitness industry. People don't stick around. They also get bored of the place that they're at. They change places and locations a lot. Why? Because I've got a friend who, who's now going over to Genesis Health Club or, you know, uh, well, now my, my work pays for, um, you know, gives us, a, a, subsidizes us to go to Planet Fitness. So now I'm going to go there. There's just a lot of reasons. You know people don't stick around, so you've got to consistently recruit people. So if you're not consistently bringing people in, um, then you're not able to make it. And when The Biggest Loser went off of the air... Uh, I think about three years ago now, two and a half, three years ago. Uh, And then soon after that, the Biggest Loser study came out, which when you really dive into the Biggest Loser study, and I have before on past podcasts, you really understand that what they were doing was pitting uh, a Biggest Loser um, population against a bariatric population. And uh, yeah, there was evidence that the, the biggest loser, if you go to the biggest loser and you work out six to eight hours a day and you're only eating 1,500 calories a day and you never cheat in nine months, if you do that exact thing, if you do that, six to eight hours of exercise every day, don't eat over 1,500 calories. In fact, sometimes back that down to 1,200, even for the men, because sometimes that's what people were doing. Not me exactly, but sometimes people, that's what they were doing. And then, by the way, here's the most important part. Don't cheat. Don't cheat in eight or nine months. And then see what happens to your metabolism. What we've learned is if you do it in that particular way, you you could have a damaged metabolism. That's what that's coming back. How long the damaged metabolism lasts, we don't know. But they that's what that study was what, what was pulling out, was pulling away from it. So your average person who's doing one hour of exercise a day and, and doing 1,500 calories, that doesn't apply to you. It doesn't give you this, this reason not to do anything. But that's kind of how the media shaped it. And then right off the bat, of course, you know they jumped on to former Biggest Losers who were angry at the Biggest Loser. I don't know where any of those supposed lawsuits have went or done anything, because I don't pay attention to the fucking drama. I don't give a shit about the drama. I don't really care. I own my experience. I don't own anybody else's. I speak from my experience. I don't own anybody else's. I don't care about that kind of stuff, really. I don't know where those lawsuits are, or if there's anything, but I I wouldn't think anything would come of it, because we signed a contract for a million dollars saying we're willing to die on the show. 
So you, I mean, I, I don't feel like I would ever have a leg to stand on, um, but that's just me and I'm not a lawyer either. So, um, but that was damaging to the business because perception shapes reality. And then uh, it just kind of cast a cloud over really <clears throat> a lot of people. I mean, even people in our own, in our own health club <clears throat> who had kind of been indoctrinated under you know, Marty's square one methods and what we were doing there at square one were deflated. And uh, so you got to assume that it had some kind of taint, but we were getting 25 to 30 new people a year until that happened about two and a half, three years ago. And I've probably gotten like six new people in two and a half years. Six new people is not enough to replace everything. And the sad part is, is I spent more money on marketing more people knew about us. I mean, more people are going to know about a business six years into it than they knew the first six months or the first three years. I had a car that was wrapped that went around town, drove around all over Omaha. The gentleman was a, a, a traveling nurse for a while. I mean, and did a lot of different, he was constantly traveling all over Omaha. Uh, people saw it all the time. People would text me. People would call me. What, what's funny is actually, um, the, I, I never got one, I never ever got one new person to start at square one because they called and they inquired from, from the car. There was one person who called me uh, about the car and, and left me a voicemail and said, Hey, I saw your car. I wanted some more information. I called them back. They never got back to me. Um, the other person to call me about the car was somebody who called me to tell me that they thought that the marketing of the car was offensive. And I said to that person, excuse me, but are you a person of size? And this person said, no, but I have family members who are. And basically she was projecting that it was offensive to her family members. Um, and I was like, have you asked your family members if they find this offensive? And she's like, no, but I could just imagine. And she's like, I have a marketing degree, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, you know what? To each their own, but I don't find it offensive. None of the people that come to my club find my car offensive. Uh, the license plate said Chub Club. It's just a funny extension of me. That's who I am. The, the, the business from day one, from the look of the bubbles to the colors, expressed me. And it was an angle that I was going for because I didn't want square one to represent old, stagnant, um, a medical view of weight loss. To me, when you go to the hospital uh, or you go to a medical professional to deal with weight loss, something's wrong with you. And I never wanted people to see it as that. I wanted to create a fun, exciting place where people could come, on, come meet other like-minded people and take on those challenges of their life. The most important challenge for a lot of us, a challenge that's killing us, that has historically brought us down. We don't deserve to go to a place that's, you know, a place that's going to, you know, that, that's a place that is something's wrong with me. That's where I always go is the place where something's wrong with me. I found out if I have cancer, you know, and historically doctor's office or medical facilities aren't the most positive place to go. And so I wanted my marketing to represent the opposite of that. 
This is an exciting place. This is a fun place. And it represented my personality. And, and I think that that came off. At least the people that came to my classes, I saw smiling. I saw them having fun. I saw them forget about the stresses of life and the literal weight of having weight on your body and carrying it around. I saw that dissipate in those hours and those minutes that I got, I got to spend with those people. And it really was, it was a magical time. And if finances were there and it was providing any kind of a living, any kind, any kind. I mean, if it was providing, you know, like even $500 a month, I, I, you know, don't know if I would be leaving it, you know, but it was, it, it just, at the end of the day, I can't be expected to spend 12 years of my life and, and not put a dime into retirement or into my kids' education or any of that other stuff. And that that logical, that adult side of your brain, no matter how great your job is and how much you love spending time with the people, it catches up with you. It wears on you. It grinds on you. It says to you every day, you're not being an adult. You're not doing the things you need to do. You're not able to provide. And it can just tear you down. It could just tear you down. So that's the point that I got to, is this important decision of, is this going to make money? I don't know. My rent continued to go up and up and up because that is like set for inflation every year. So that became more and more difficult to, to do and to manage. And, uh, and then we stopped getting people in about two years ago. I saw the writing on the wall probably about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. I knew, some, I knew we couldn't be in the same space that we were currently in. So um, I started reaching out and making other plans, not really knowing, um, not really knowing my role or my involvement or where I would be at this time, but I wanted a plan for the people to transition and be able to do uh, something similar um, and, uh, yeah, and be able to do that and potentially be a part of it, maybe not be a part of it. Um, it was time for me to start really taking care of my family and thinking more uh, about that side of things. Um, so that's kind of the evolution of, of all of it, all the decision-making. Uh, I know people have been interested in it. I've told some people all of this the ones that didn't get bored <laughs> halfway through because um, it's a long, and then it's a long story and people have their own theories and opinions, uh, but they're not privy to all the information and know all the other areas and what, what had happened. Um, a lot of people had told me to franchise. That was out a long time ago. You can't franchise something that's not financially successful. I mean, that's the first thing an owner is going to want to look at are your financials. Is it making any money? And if it's not, it's not worth franchising because then people can't make money. That's the reason people do franchises is because they want to make money. They don't necessarily have a huge, great passion for what they're doing maybe, but they want to make money at it. And you can provide a cookie cutter solution for them to be able to do that. I knew what single-handedly built Square One was my interest, my passion, 
for it, for the classes and to want to make change in other people's lives. So I tried my best to set all of that up. And, um, and it lasted six years. Some components of it are still going. Uh, the corporate side of that is still going. If somebody called me and still wants to do a speaking engagement, I'm still here. In fact, my story every year continues to get better and better and better. So what's funny about that is everybody wants you fresh off The Biggest Loser because you're popular and you're famous and people know who you are and they want to use you at that time. You know, what's interesting is, you know, I, uh, right after The Biggest Loser, I, you know, I was a spokesperson for Wrigley. Wrigley Gum called me up and they were like, hey, we want to use you for a campaign, a national campaign. We want you to be the spokesperson for our brand, Wrigley, a brand the world has heard about. We would like you to be a spokesperson for this particular campaign that we're running on on uh, radio stations across the country and online. We want you to be the face of it. We're creating a website with your imagery and your likeness. And we want to say, Marty Wolf endorses this. And I did it. I got paid handsomely for about two days of work. In fact, I will tell you, I got paid one year's teacher salary in two days. That's how much I got paid to do two days of work for Wrigley. And then we got hired by a drug company to do something similar. And then we were hired to go, um, we got hired by Complete Nutrition, which is a nutrition company. And we did uh, spokesperson work for them. My wife and I, I think they're still running commercials for my wife. So if you live in, uh, I think if you live in in Idaho, I think they might be still running those commercials. If they are, we would like actually to know if you hear the likeness of Amy Wolf on the radio there uh, for Complete Nutrition. Uh, yeah, we haven't, uh, we were under the understanding those stopped about, I don't know, probably seven years ago. Um, but anyway, so we've done like national spokesperson work. Um, we were hired to speak all over at keynotes and, and uh, symposiums. And uh, from the highest levels up that you can really think of um, to the lowest levels, to just literally walking into a curves in the middle of Ohio where there's three people there. Um, So we have really done a lot of different things, um, but that was all right after The Biggest Loser. And then, uh, you know, when you put weight on, people don't give a fuck about you anymore. They assumed you failed which is not the truth, actually. Actually, you've got a better lesson for the world after you put back on weight because it just makes you more human and your story becomes more real at that time and really more relatable. More people relate to the, the, the experience of packing on pounds than relate to you as uh, somebody who lost 150 pounds on a television show that they're never going to be able to go on. You're way more relatable then, but they don't want to hear about you then. Um, I have been unwilling to walk away from that spotlight. I have always seen that my story is what people should be listening to. I believe truth, reality happens in stories. Stories are what move us. Stories make a difference. 
I think that's why TED Talks are so cool. I think that's why podcasts are so cool. I think that's why I highlight stories on my podcast. And some of the most effective stories on the podcast are were the best learning experiences. That's why I went to my own population of people and I got their stories. I looked for other stories other than my own because there's power in stories. They're relatable. They move people to action. And, and what's interesting to me anyway is that you know, the further you go away from The Biggest Loser, the more people forget about you. But actually, the more powerful your story becomes, the more life you learn after The Biggest Loser. Because you had a behind-the-scenes peek at not only how a reality TV show works, with who, who really gives a shit, but there are some people that like that stuff, but really how the fitness industry works. And then I went wholeheartedly into that industry where a lot of other Biggest Losers... We're gaining weight and decide I'm just going back to my old life. My wife was one of them. She went back to her old life and that was for her. And that and that's great. And that's what she wanted to do. But I refused to walk away from that spotlight for 12 years. Because I insisted my stories being more powerful. And if you as a society want to tell me because less eyeballs are looking at me and caring because I'm not fresh off the biggest loser, I didn't give a shit. I was creating a new journey in the health and fitness arena, trying to make a big impact that I could. Helping my people, creating a niche of people. And and those efforts were not for nothing. I learned a ton and um, and I, I met a lot of great people. I learned about myself. And I met so many great people, friends, friends that I'll have for a really long time. Uh, I would like to give some advice to those people. I am a very one-track-minded person. And um, I, no matter what I do, I'm always fully submerged in it. One flaw of mine, maybe it's a character flaw, I have a lot of trouble reconnecting. There's only a couple of people from college or from those times Um, high school, I've got one friend that I connect with who I call my best friend, um, that I connect with consistently on a consistent basis. There's other people that I really want to connect with and reach out to, um, that I just haven't. So if you're somebody that wants to, that wishes that there would be more connection, reach out to me, reach out to me because it's not that I don't like people or I don't care. It's just, I'm obsessive compulsive. I think I have ADD and a, you know, a subsidy of that is a bit of obsessive compulsive mentality. And I am generally constantly submerged into, uh, what, what I'm doing. Maybe it's selfishness. I don't know. I'm still learning, but, um, if you miss me, odds are, I probably miss you reach out. If you've got the time, just reach out. So it's not like I'm going away forever But um, I was accepted into UNL's uh, MFA program. Um, I I will be treating that essentially as my full-time job. It is a three-year program. It's kind of like a doctor residency. You're not expected to have a life outside of it. Uh, I'll be able to maybe do, uh, I'll be able to do a a little bit of the additional work outside uh, that only takes really a couple of hours 
um, a week really to do, um, to make some, some additional money. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm going to be fully submerged into the MFA program. If you're at all interested in any of that, um, my emphasis will be in scenic design. So I will be drafting and designing sets, building scale models of those sets, communicating my concepts and my ideas to a director. Um, and then we will make a thing. We will make a, um, we will make a play. We will make a, a movie. We will make a video game. We will make whatever it is that is being done that needs, uh, a, a scenic ambiance of some kind that needs any kind of environment built. So that is my particular specialty. When I graduate, I will, uh, I'll have my MFA, which I said is a terminal degree. So I'll be able to go to the highest highs, um, of the academic world, which is really kind of where I wanted to be. Um, I, I, I'm a teacher at heart. Even uh, the areas of square one that are still in existence are basically the teaching elements, the, the, my, the ability for me to show up and teach. So I, um, in fact, I'm recording this podcast on my way to class in the morning. It is uh, 8.50 in the morning, and I'm recording this on my way to class. So, um, but when I'm done with my MFA... I'll be able to teach at the highest levels of, of academia. Um, it would be considered like I have my doctoral degree in the area of fine arts. I'd be able to run whole fine arts programs um, with, with some experience. I'd be able to teach the highest levels at the universities. I'd be able to teach master's level classes at the university level. In fact, the people teaching my classes right now have MFAs. Um, and so I'm trying to earn the degree that they have and get the experience that they have. Uh, the reason why the program is so intense is because it is kind of seen like a doctoral degree. It is a terminal degree. Um, so when you're done, it is like you got your master's. Um, I've already have master's experience. I, I've started taking graduate level classes. Sorry, <laughs> I just cut somebody off. Probably shouldn't be doing this. Um, I took master's level classes um, when I was a teacher uh, to be a principal. So I have 12 credit hours towards um, educational leadership and that master's degree. Um, And that was something that was in the evenings. This is not like that. (laughs) They bend those degrees around, uh, you know, your schedule. The classes were were pretty easy. I, I mean, that's just what it was. Um, and, uh, it was going to be like a two year degree as that was, um, but it was going to be, you know, classes basically in the evenings and stuff like that. Um, this is way more intense than that is. Um, and you get a lot of professional experience, um, in in the meantime. So, um, so that's the, that's the track I'm at. I'm heading back to my roots and, uh, one of the things that I've really learned about myself through putting up square one and uh, you have all benefited from this. If you care about the podcast and you're somebody that listens, I mean, I'm really proud to say that probably about uh, 2000 people a month have listened to this podcast. Um, and uh, I would only get 
you know, about six to eight people a week to come in and listen to my train your brain classes, um, consistently for like the last two years. So, um, to make that equivalent, uh, I think that's around 300 people a week. Um, you know, three to 400 people a week, um, that, uh, would have to come into my train your brain class. Um, so I was getting more of a following through my podcast than, uh, even in person in Omaha, even though I, it was in person. Uh, so, um, I, you know, I, I'm really proud of, of, of the podcast and, um, and so, uh, you guys have all kind of benefited from something of mine that I need. This was a need. I had to make a creative outlet. I had to have something that was creative and this allowed me to be creative over really the last three or four years that I've been doing this. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is a product of my creative, my creativity, my outlet that need to do that. And what I've learned is I've learned about myself that I'm not a great manager uh, of people. I enjoy it when my business is moving and it's changing and it's actually adapting, but that actually doesn't make you a great business owner day to day because uh, people generally, maybe it's just my business or the fitness industry. They like consistency. (laughs) They don't like, you know, they don't like businesses that are constantly warping and changing concept. Um, and that's what I like to do. I guess in the business world, they would call me more of an entrepreneur somebody likes to create new things that aren't existing and aren't there. The problem is, is I'm scared of money. Uh, money frightens me. I, I, I never had a lot of money growing up, so I don't like just throwing that around. That's a scary, scary process for me. Um, so, um, knowing that I love being creative and I love that process is what brought me back really to my roots, school and, uh, and theater in particular. So what I wanted to tell everybody in the podcast, as I print out a parking receipt and go into the parking garage here at UNL in Lincoln, um, is that uh, I'm going to continue to update Chubby Talk um, the best that I can. It might be just little updates here and there. Uh, I just wanted to come out and let you know uh it's probably best if you didn't expect this to be something that is weekly pleasuring your earbuds. Um, and, uh, that it's not going to be a consistent thing. I have had people that I've thought of, Hey, maybe I should just hand it off to somebody else. Um, I've had people ask me if, you know, I would like to hand it off. I really don't. This is always from the very first episode that I talked about. This is, been kind of a self-indulgent journey. You know, the topics were topics that I found interesting. Um, it was just, it was always a path led by other, by, by myself and my own curiosity. And I'm not going to lie. Part of my reasoning for wanting to do this was, uh, to learn, uh, to learn more about myself, to see my evolution as a, a person who's curious about health. Um, to hear other professionals that interested me and other topics that interested me. It was really a self-indulgent journey from the very beginning. Um, and, uh, and I knew the minute that I would completely give it over to somebody else, it would no longer be mine or 
it would no longer be nurturing that self-indulgence that that was the whole reason for me wanting to do this was an outlet for other people's stories and to learn through them. It was a lust of learning that really started all of this. And uh, I want to pass that on to my family. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I see this as kind of a legacy piece of my life uh, that really has now, I'm so glad I did it because now it, there's a narration for this time of my life that encapsulates, you know, what, what I was going through and what was on my mind. And uh, that's super cool because then maybe my kids can, you know, uh, listen to it as they grow up, maybe learn lessons, maybe uh, learn failures of dads and they learn this and they go, wow, I realized, you know, I got my creativity from my dad and all that other stuff. And if somebody else just kind of took it over, then uh, it would feel less like a legacy piece, you know? So I'm going to try my best, my absolute best to, uh, to uh, update and talk about my health and maybe have other people on. So if you're somebody that's been on this in the past and you want, you want to do this, it's not that I won't have time to ever do anything, um, but uh, just reach out to me. I, I certainly don't have the time to do the investigating um, like, uh, like me and, and Katie have done, Karen uh, is a real name. I'm an outer now. Karen is a real name. Uh, we would call her Katie. And uh, she was helping me. Um, with, uh, with all the pr producing and the podcast and the Facebook page and really just trying to get this out to humanity. So I really appreciate everybody who has done anything. I guess my message to everybody is first to Katie, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for owning this and seeing the mission and seeing the value and uh, wanting to help me and wanting, having enthusiasm and a work ethic to want to push this to other people and create a Facebook page. And uh, if everybody listening to this, you know, could go on uh, the Facebook page and just send her a thank you because you don't understand how important she is. <laughs> she, you know, I record these and I uh, send them to her. I put them in a Dropbox and then she takes it and she edits all the stuff and she makes everybody look good and she posts it and she puts it online. She does a lot of work for free, for absolute free, because this podcast doesn't make money. Um, we're all just donating our time to help people. And, um, and so uh, I just don't have time, the capacity in my life to uh, be on the offensive side of that and be looking for stuff. But if people would like to come to me and say, Hey, I can set up an interview and I'll, I, you know, I'm willing to track this person down and, and, and really, um, <clears throat> you know, and set up a time for you guys to talk and figure that stuff out. Um, and I could do the legwork for you on this, you know, by setting up all of the logistic stuff. I, you know what I would, I could probably find time in my week to do that and come out with that episode and stuff like that. Um, so stay subscribed. You can always listen to our past podcasts. I might have occasional updates, but they might be pretty rare, like once every three months or whatnot. I just wanted to let everybody know where I am in my life, where I'm at professionally with, with the health and wellness journey that I've been on the last 12 years. Didn't, I felt like I wanted to like let everybody into my world once again, and, uh, just know the reasons and the decisions and 
all of that stuff um, because out of context, it could probably seem like maybe I don't care or, or other things like that, but that's never really been a part of my DNA uh, is not caring about that. Um, so there it is. I'm heading into my class. In fact, I'm two minutes late already. Um, I'm willing to be late to post this podcast and, and to get it to all of you. Um, but thank you guys for listening to Chubby Talk. Once again, I will try my best to post when I can, but I don't know when you can expect that. If uh, you would like to reach out um, and, and set something up, you know, I have weekends available most of the time that I could probably get away for a little bit of time. So if you'd like me to interview somebody or you would like my perspective on something or whatever that is, go ahead and send it to me. I can't make any promises, um, but I'll try to update on everything on the bariatric progress and all of that. I would like everybody to know I'm 105 pounds down and bariatric has been not only the best decision that I've ever made, it's the easiest route I've ever done. And this is my third time now in my life I've lost over 100 pounds. And this has by far been the easiest way to do it where I feel the most normal. And I'm so glad I have physical restriction that forces me to cut off. I feel normal. I feel like I now finally have a mechanism that other people were just born with that I wasn't, that I was abusing for many, many, many years. Um, so that has been the single best tool so far. I'm, I'm still only like six months into it, like five or six months. A lot can change. I know that. Um, but, uh, five or six months into the biggest loser, I was saying I was working out eight hours and thinking to myself, I'll never be able to do this every day. So that's a big difference between that person who was five or six months into it and the person now who's like, oh, thank God I have this gift. I can finally see how this could really work. So chew on that, whatever way you want to. Um, I'm just saying it's my experience. But folks, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I won't be in your ears every week. I want to do updates as often as I can. They might be few and far between. Um, but I love you all. And thank you guys for listening. And keep listening to old episodes and anything. It's here to cheer you up. It's here to reinforce all of this stuff. Um, and you know, it might be even fun for me to listen to some of this stuff from time to time too. There's a great bank. I think there were, you know, somewhere around 50 or 60 episodes, you know. Um, a lot of them were an hour episode. Some of them were even a little longer. So uh, indulge in the history and uh, the future will be um, intermittent, just so you know. Thank you guys for listening to Chubby Talk. And until next time, my friends, hang in there. Be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. And bye-bye now. That's your food for thought from another episode of the Chubby Talk podcast. As always, you can reach out to us on the Chubby Talk Podcast Facebook page, comment on the episode in SoundCloud or iTunes, or find us at chubbytalk.com. Thank you for listening to Chubby Talk, where you can always find something to sink your teeth into.